we've talked about nutrition before and what it can do for athletes as far as performance and overall health and longevity in the long run. But to what extent have you actually thought about how your food affects your brain? Is it possible that the environment in your stomach and all the bacteria that live there are closely connected with your brain function, your cognition, and your overall ability to function on a day-to-day basis? We'll find out today as we talk once again with nutritionist Tina Mazzullo, also VP Mentor. I'm your host, Meg, and this is The Valkyrie Project. Welcome back to The Valkyrie Project podcast, everyone. I am happy to be sitting back down again with Miss Tina Mazzullo. Uh, it's such a privilege to be here with you, Tina, because I get to see your smiling face in the gym like every single day. And whether there's a microphone in front of us or not, we always have things to talk about. So this is like the most natural thing ever. Absolutely. And I love to talk about nutrition with anyone that will listen. I'll listen and our listeners will listen. We're here for some more. So we did the podcast a while back about just basic nutrition do's and don'ts and how those things can perfect or excuse me, affect human performance. What's what's new with you since then? What have you been up to lately since that last podcast we did? I recently started at a pulmonology sleep and obesity clinic called Prana Healthcare. They work out of Sanford and Fayetteville and Irwin, North Carolina. For any of you who do not live in North Carolina, I should specify that. We've been seeing listeners from like places like Pakistan and England. So shout out to all you guys. Here we are in little Fayetteville area, North Carolina. I would love for people, I've heard people do things on podcasts where they'll be like, oh, hugs and kisses out there to Maria in San Francisco, California, or whatever. I've yet to receive one of those. So I invite the listeners, if you have a shout out for me or Tina, put it on the page and we'll get your we'll get your shout out on the on the show. But that's really interesting. So you says prana, what are I mean I guess you already said the specializations, but it's essentially like a well being from the sense of like body composition type clinic. Overall well-being where the obesity, breathing, and sleep are all tied into your body working at its best, you know? So if your sleep is off, then it causes obesity. If you have trouble breathing, it reduces your ability to exercise, which also causes obesity. And then obesity causes sleep problems and breathing problems. It's a circle. It's an unfortunate circle. So we're talking about basically a clinic that can help you optimize your health in a pretty broad sense. Absolutely. If there are things that you're doing that aren't quite conducive to a healthy lifestyle, making adjustments there. Very cool. So as a nutritionist, what's your general role there? Do you do consultations? Do you, um, Is it kind of like a on-the-spot thing where someone can be working with a client and say, uh, we'll bring the nutritionist right now to talk to you, or is it more structured than that where they have a separate appointment with you, or how does that work? Good question. So they actually do have a separate appointment. It's a nutrition consultation. They meet both the doctor and myself. I give the assessment initially, and then the doctor comes in to concur or disagree, and we collaborate together to make sure that the treatment plan is appropriate for the patient. Very cool. And it is a separate appointment. So they have to be scheduled specifically for a nutrition consultation. Okay. How's that been going for you so far? It's really good. You know, I'm already 
I'm already doing it. It's a little bit different when you work with athletes who are optimizing performance and then you flip the script and you start working with people who can barely breathe or barely walk or are limited to five hours of sleep at night, not because of work, but because they can't breathe and they can't sleep for sleep apnea or whatever their medical condition might be. Yeah, I can imagine that's a really different looking profile, although it does bring up an interesting point. I've seen this, I guess you could call it a spectrum, although if I had to make the argument, I would say it's not a spectrum in terms of like a straight linear line so much as it might be a circle of health. There are a number of um, health and nutrition and really even athletic training gurus out there that kind of talk in terms of, you know, if you look at if it is, you know, according to the original model, a line and on the left, on the far left, let's say is fitness and wellness, like to the far right of that, like three quarters, almost to the end of the far right lies, um, elite athletes, like competitive athletes. And then right after that is sickness. And then after that is death. It was interesting to me the first time I saw that drawing, it's like, wow, you know, if you train hard enough and if you work that much, you're putting yourself in a window that's considered potentially sickness if you're not managing it properly. And certainly, you know, it it would probably be really hard to do because we have mechanisms built in to stop us from doing these things, but you could literally like train yourself to death or try to overfit yourself to death. And when you're training, you're increasing cortisol, which is a stress hormone, and a lot of people aren't feeding their bodies. They're overtraining and not feeding. We were talking about that in the last podcast and not consuming enough protein for the muscle breakdown process. And then a lot of that overstress lifestyle, especially with tactical athletes who are not only stressed in the athletic sense, but also in a work at work, you know, with their, um, whatever requirements, whether it's doing two a days because they have to do PT in the morning and do their requirements for athletic training in the evening or um, having to wake up at 4am and not being able to go to sleep until a very late time because of their full schedule and their cortisol levels are really high. And like you were saying, they end up actually becoming resistant to certain hormones that are produced. Obesity also causes resistance to hormones, but so does having that high stress level lifestyle. And I imagine it's like other functions in the body where, you know, and I'm very much coming from the position of a person who's not formally trained in nutrition and, you know, medical health care overall. But everything that I've read seems to point to the fact of there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. And your body requires all of the hormones that it produces to le- to live, survive and thrive but too much of a good thing means that you either build up a tolerance or you stop being able to produce said hormones. And that often creates health problems for people. Is that, is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. And when it comes to supplementation, that is a huge misunderstanding because people read a study that says, well, vitamin C is going to affect a cold in this manner. So I'm going to take 3000% of vitamin C over consume vitamin C or, um, mo- like we're talking about today, probiotics, probiotics are good for you. So I'm going to take all the probiotics, give me a whole bottle, I'm going to take all of it, because the more I take, right, the more benefit I'm going to get. But that's not necessarily the case, because the body is constantly fighting for homeostasis. So if the, con- the body wants to be normal, mm-hmm. right? So 
different processes are going to change in the body. So basically if you, you could get toxicity from overconsumption of a micronutrient, but also the mechanisms can change. Like you mentioned, where if you're taking in too much, the body might start requiring a certain amount more. And if you're not taking enough, the body might start requiring a certain amount less kind of, you could think of it like, I think most people understand pregnancy in this light. So when you're pregnant and the fetus is taking a certain amount of a micronutrient from you, the female body suddenly requires less. Does that make sense? Interesting. Yeah. So it's an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I guess, I mean, I guess it's all adaptation and, and that makes sense from sort of an evolutionary perspective. I've also read before in, I don't remember, I never remember where I find these things. And then inevitably I'm like, I need to go back and find that article so I can like show it to somebody. Um, but just the, that there's a lot of information out there that supports the fact that, okay, homeostasis is a constant state your body wants to be in or tries to be in. And for people that do things like extreme detox diets, for example, or extreme cleanse diets, that really they're not so beneficial, mainly because if you're flooding your system, for example, with micronutrients that can't be processed because whether they're water soluble or fat soluble, one, your systems can't like support absorbing that much. And two, they don't want to absorb that much anyways, because it just doesn't make sense for the cell chemistry. So it's basically like the condition you've probably heard the term before people like are taking a vitamin, a vitamin just to piss it out. Like expensive, expensive urine. urine. Yeah. That's, that's the term. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you have to be wary of these extreme cleanses because I mean, there might be beneficial, I guess, for folks that say would eat nothing but fast food all the time. And they're actually starting to put some vitamins in maybe a cleanse becomes a good thing, but it seems extraneous to me to just, if you're a relatively um, balanced person to do an extreme cleanse where it's like you're popping all kinds of vitamins and putting patches on your feet to soak toxins out. And I don't even know if that stuff works, but. So you said a lot of things in one sentence. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to try. I need, you know what I need to do is I need to get a pen and paper and like write little bullets of what, what you're saying. But I get around you and I have a stream of consciousness. That's what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> so I just want to touch on the detox for a minute because there is always room for certain things, sure. whether they are minimal or extreme. And in the world that I live in where I'm trying to train people to actually, I need them to do that. I need them to detox. I need all of the processed sugars and all of the junk in their body. I need that to detox out so that we can move past that because what ends up happening is people don't last long enough and they revert back to their old ways because they have not fully detoxed their body. They haven't. So like 21 days, right, to break a habit, whether it's smoking, alcohol, sugar, it doesn't matter what it is. It takes 21 days, but it's really hard to get someone to stick to 21 days. And then also on the opposite spectrum of that, sometimes that detox process can actually cause yo-yoing where you go back and you're worse than you were before. You've gained more weight than you initially weighed because you deprived yourself. So deprivation diets, I don't recommend them. 
like I said, there's room for each thing and each client because everyone has a fingerprint. Everyone is different. Some clients I do recommend cleanses for depending on what their needs are, depending on how dependent they are on certain processed foods and sugars. Um, So there's certain bacteria in our body that actually thrive on certain sugars like candida in the gut thrives on processed sugar. And if we can get that out of our diet and we can flood the body with some probiotics, some good bacteria, then we can kind of change the whole gut biome and get them restarted. You know, I guess in my, in my last stream of consciousness segment, I didn't really like clarify what I meant, but it concerns me when I see things like drink nothing but lemon juice for four days I would think that something that acidic would potentially knock out your gut bacteria in an imbalanced way, right? Because it's like this, you know, might as well transition to the topic of the day, right? Talking about um, the brain-gut connection. Like, I'll I'll give you an example about, you know, how things can get out of balance. Um, I was out of the country for six months relatively recently and had lots of challenges with my gut. And, you know, prior to trying like the over-the-counter or like the standard prescription medicinal fixes, I tried to, you know, look at what I was eating and say, you know, maybe I can help myself out here. Maybe I should go try and like get the probiotic foods. And so I started getting like the probiotic yogurts and I quickly realized I had a lot more sugar than I wanted to be consuming. So I put those aside and eventually I found some homeostasis, but a lot of the reading I did showed me like, okay, well, garlic is really good at killing X type of bacteria. But I wonder to some extent if, you know, any excessive amount of garlic would then kill off too much of a particular type of bacteria, right? Because I would, I would assume that your gut has many kinds and some of them, like all of them play some role. Oh, absolutely. So you want to have multiple strains. Absolutely. You want to have a very large number of CFUs as well, which are colony forming units, basically just viable bacteria. That means that they can duplicate and replicate. Um, You want to, there are different strains that help different conditions as well. So you have like the bifidobacterium and the lactobacillus that really help with gastrointestinal distress and anxiety. Those are the most popular ones that you find in the probiotics. But you were mentioning garlic, and that's actually a prebiotic that feeds good bacteria. So okay. that is actually the process in the gut that happens with garlic is it's feeding the good bacteria. And when you think of good bacteria versus bad, it's like two armies. And if one of the armies is more populated than the other, unless you're a case of like the Spartans, most likely, the more you have. <laughs> I just right? love that you use that metaphor. Go on. It's amazing. <laughs> Most likely, the more you have, the better chance you have at that side winning, right? So they're both fighting to consume the same ingredients, except for candida that likes processed sugar. We already talked about that. But both of them are fighting to eat this prebiotic fiber. And if the more populated side can have access to those prebiotics, then they will overpower the minority and they'll win the war. Okay. So we want to win the war on bad bacteria. I Mm -hmm. like it. Put it in. But without killing them both. So you did say something about killing them both, right? Right. The problem is, is we're using too many antibiotics, too many chemicals, 
too many antibiotic hand soaps and or antibacterial hand soaps, sorry, and we're killing both the beneficial bacteria and the bad bacteria. My brains are going everywhere at once, so I apologize in advance for what will probably be another stream of consciousness. But one, I've read that excessive use of antibiotic hand soaps contributes to super bacteria and super viruses or super illnesses proliferating. But also that two. That's called um, antibiotic resistant bacteria. Absolutely. And that's a bad thing because it creates more essentially, I guess, stealthy or hardy things that our bodies Spartans. have to fight off. Yeah, exactly. We have to speak in terms that the listeners can understand, right? Everyone out there is a cold-blooded killer that's listening to us right now. Um, but it's also that, you know, science is moving more and more towards some of these bacteria are really important. And you're going to do a lot of damage by killing them all off with antibiotics. And I probably didn't state it the way I meant to, but that's exactly what I was trying to avoid when I was having those stomach issues. I was like, maybe I can fix this with my nutrition instead of taking a pill that's going to knock out all my gut bacteria and give me other issues. Like I'll never build up any kind of immunology to, you know, the new challenges in my physical environment in this other country. Um, So anyway, I thought that was cool. You brought that up, but for a vocabulary lesson for those of us that are lesser educated on these things. Prebiotic, probiotic, what are the terms we need to understand before we move on with this conversation? Okay. Because I think I've been using them interchangeably and they're not the same. <laughs> they're definitely not. So prebiotic is, right, pre means before, right? Pro means life-giving. So um, probiotics are those life-giving bacteria, and the prebiotics are the foods that you need to feed them before they can do the jobs that they need to do basically. So garlic, asparagus, um, different roots, some grains. There are a lot of things that you can use for prebiotics. Um, Actually, a lot of the supplements these days have prebiotics already in them in the form of like polysaccharides. The probiotics are bacteria that are good for your gut. They're not the bad bacteria. They're the pros, right? <laughs> the good bacteria, the good guys. Okay. That's good to know. But there's more terms too. So you have the microbiome, which is all of the bacteria in and on your body. So everywhere, which we're actually made up of 90% bacteria, bacterial cells and 10% human <laughs> cells. So we are more bacteria than we are human. You're welcome, germaphobes. <laughs> You're dismissed to take your compulsive shower right now. But don't use antibacterial soap. Don't use antibacterial soap. (laughs) Okay, so what was that word you used? Microbiome. Microbiome. Okay. What other words do we need to have in our tool bag to have this conversation well? Microbiota, which is the colony of bacteria that might be in one specific place. Okay. Got it. I feel armed with information now. So... I get really excited slash kind of geek out over talking about the brains because the brains is because it's a topic that's really fascinating to me lately. And that there's a lot of emerging science on, but still in a lot of ways boggles my mind. And it's probably because I never um, specifically studied brains in school other than like a couple biology classes. But you should um, probably study it because you're saying it wrong. What brains Mm-hmm. 
It's just a word I coined. So I'm just kidding. Oh. Go on. I knew you were kidding. It's fine. <laughs> I appreciate your sense of humor. So there's so much emerging science that shows that everything's connected in ways that we probably never really understood before and perhaps in ways that we'll never be able to fully grasp. Just the way that the brain sends out signals in response to things that happen to the body and and vice versa, like the amount of exchange of information and the speed with which your cells adjust what they're doing based on information provided from the brain and, and the nervous system, you know, like fractions of a second, you know, you can change your hormonal profile, like what hormones your body's releasing. It changes so fast. Fight or flight, right? Yeah, it's mind blowing. So if we had to, you know, say we want to, if we know that the brain is the body's computer and we want the brain to run as cleanly as possible, right? When your computer's running slow, you defrag it. Like if we want to defrag the body, what are some things that a person would see as maybe not a symptom, but an indication that their gut bacteria was off and it could be negatively impacting their cognition? Like, what does that look like? There's actually a lot of things. So there are cognition and emotional and physical symptoms. So you have many different symptoms that you can present with. One of them being physical, which is actually dentation. So they're coming out with a probiotic gum because we have bacteria, right? That causes cavities in our mouth, right? (laughs) Dentation as in teeth. I heard you say that and I thought pores. (laughs) (laughs) Then also you have gastrointestinal upset. Uh So anything that has to do, obviously you have C. diff, right? That causes bacterial diarrhea. So You can use probiotics or even fecal transplantation to help with C. diff, diarrhea. You can use probiotics and also fermented foods. Then we also have emotional. We have stress, anxiety, and depression are all linked to our gut. And actually, because serotonin, serotonin is what is in an antidepressant, right? So serotonin, 90% of it is actually stored in our gut, And that communication pathway that goes through our vagus nerve to our brain is happening from our gut to our brain. And if we have a gut that is out of whack, then that's going to show in a lot of our psychological disorders. They actually call it psychobacteria. So it's pretty interesting. Um, It's a emerging science and there's a lot of really interesting studies on it, but there's more, there's social cognition. So as far as like autism spectrum disorder there, they've been, there's studies on rats. There's not enough studies on humans yet, but there are studies on rats that show that giving them probiotics improves their social cognition. So it could improve ASD hopefully in the future. Um, Then you also have melatonin. So if you have fatigue, melatonin is also stored in the gut. So fatigue is a symptom because melatonin is, you know, it helps our circadian rhythm and keeping us regulated. And then you have the stress hormone cortisol. So if you have high stress, um, it can be because of this gut brain connection as well. And oh my gosh, there's so many. (laughs) I feel like I'm forgetting some. There are so many symptoms that you could 
of pain, um, chronic pain, chronic joint pain from increased inflammation. So there's certain metabolites that bacteria produces that cause prolific inflammation as well. And the list goes on. It does. So a person that's experiencing some of these symptoms and let's just say, you know, given patient X, right? Patient X has displayed some of these symptoms. What is happening? Let's say for a person that's suffering from depression or chronic pain or a combination thereof, what is actually happening in the gut that causes that? Is it that bad bacteria is winning over good? Or maybe there's just a lack of good bacteria or, you know, how can that be characterized? Like what's actually going on in the gut that shouldn't, that shouldn't be? Well, there's two things that's happening. One is what the bad bacteria is producing. Like I was saying, the metabolites and um, they're producing a lot of things. They can produce good bacteria can produce vitamins and that can be really great. Uh, But bad bacteria can produce a lot of things that can kind of float around in your system and cause inflammation and oxidation, a lot of bad things. And then you also have the endocrine system, which is causing hormonal imbalances as well. So anytime you have, which is, that's just reminding me, that's another thing. So obesity is another issue that um, can be actually a symptom, any type of weight related problem, because leptin and ghrelin are part of the endocrine system, which regulate your hunger and your satiety. And if those are not properly produced, and if your body is resistant to them, then it can cause a lot of problems because then you're either hungry all the time, which is a problem or never hungry and not able to really have that natural, which kind of brings me back to something you were saying before about the whole detox. Mm -hmm. So they have shown people who go on diets for a long period of time can become leptin resistant. So they end up, yeah, they lose their weight, but then when they go back to their normal eating patterns, it's been shown that their ability to be satiated has changed because they have that resistance to the leptin. So that's unfortunate. So they're less able to suppress their appetite is. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Is it, is it true that in terms of autism, you know, it's become a a topic, I think of research and interest in a lot of different academic communities because the instance of autism has increased in the last several decades. And it seems as though, you know, it started out as this is autism that is not, but now it's evolved to, we can identify a spectrum, you know, a person falls here, here on the spectrum of autism. And probably since we've gotten this far and understanding it, there's still more that we don't know. Have you seen research that supports the fact that nutrition has more to do with that than anything else? Or is that not quite there yet? Because, you know, there are the studies to talk about, for example, artificial coloring in foods that contributes to the instance of autism. And, you know, logically, it makes sense to me if you think about uh, in terms of whole foods versus processed foods and how those foods can support bacteria, you know, good bacteria in your gut through the prebiotic process. Um, What's the research on that? So I want to say, first of all, I kind of want to maybe jump on a soapbox. Get it, girl. Get on that box. (laughs) I want to just stop and repeat again that we are 90% bacteria and 10% human cells. So if we are killing all of the bacteria 
let's start from in utero. Okay. And regardless, I'm talking like you were saying, just let's think about it. Let's not talk about the scientific studies. Let's just think about it for a minute. Okay. If in utero, if we're constantly in contact with a lot of chemicals and we're killing all of the bacteria, good or bad, right? And then we ourselves might be taking antibiotics while we're pregnant, maybe, or we might be consuming chicken that has been injected with antibiotics, which also is putting antibiotics into our body. Okay. Um, we are not taking care of our gut with prebiotics or probiotics, whether that be from a supplement or not, whether it just, just regular food, food. Yeah. you don't have to, a supplement is a supplement for a reason. It supplements your diet. It's secondary, but. not the first source. Exactly. So then once you get through pregnancy and you go, we kill, and I don't mean to kind of speak on an uncomfortable subject, but the birth canal, right, is not supposed to be 100% sanitary, okay? It's supposed to have bacteria. That bacteria is transferred to the baby. So we're doing C-sections and they are very sterile. That whole process is very sterile. And there's actually swab techniques now that they're doing to take from the vaginal canal for the babies. And I'm really loving those techniques. And that gives them that good bacteria so they can start out life that way. Yes. And then breastfeeding, that's another um, access to because the baby is suckling on the body. And like I said, if our entire microbiome is in and outside of our body, right, then the baby is suckling on our body and getting more of our microbiome into their ingesting more into their body. And through childhood, whether we use antibiotics or not, okay, if we're breastfeeding and we're taking antibiotics or eating the foods that contain antibiotics, there we go again, using the chemicals around the baby. There we go again, okay, using antibacterial hand soap on ourselves and the baby's hands. Um, then we're killing all of that good beneficial bacteria. So we're just taking all of these steps to kill and to kill and to kill and not to feed, right? Not to provide. And yet the body is going to be fighting to be provided for. Regardless of how much you're killing it, it's going to keep fighting because it's strong. It's 90% of you, right? So that's where that antibiotic resistant bacteria comes from. So it goes even further. So then your kid goes outside to play or goes to daycare or wherever they go and they get exposed to bacteria or not. There was actually a family of doctors who lived on a farm and they were exposed to so much bacteria and they started making these correlations between their health and their patient's health. And what differences were they doing in their lifestyle? You know, was it hereditary? Was it, you know, their exposure to the bacteria? Was it what they ingested? They had to look at all these things, but it was interesting to them. So then they started really studying it. And they actually proved that living in an environment that did have some germs improves your health. And if you go to now, if you go to doctor's office, you see signs that say, if you have a cat or a dog, you have less chances of having allergies and asthma. So like the more that we're trying to keep our body from all of this stuff, we're causing allergies by keeping peanuts there. Now that's in a study, right? I could just keep going on and on. Like um, we are causing lactose intolerance by keeping lactose out of our body. Like we can create all of this. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So now I can jump off my soapbox and say that we do have a lot of control over 
our health in that realm. So killing it or feeding it, and it starts in utero. And then it just keeps going and proliferating depending on how we live our lifestyle. I'm going to ask now a question that is potentially going to be like really meaty, chewy, like take as long as you need to answer it because I have to be able to to understand things. I have to be able to visualize them, right? So when we talk about these things, I literally see little kidney bean-shaped bacteria in my stomach doing good things for me. What does the brain-gut connection mean? What does it do for us? How does it work? So basically there's a communication pathway between the GI tract and the central nervous system. And this travels via the vagus nerve to the brain and it just communicates, right? So we're constantly processing everything that we're in ingesting or we're coming into contact with. It's constantly being processed in our body by something. There's so many really intricate, detailed processes that happen in our body, but just simply, if we can talk about nutrient processing, when that nutrient processing goes through whatever mechanism it needs to go through, every single time a communication has to be made to the brain. So we ingest food and then it goes into our gut and then we absorb it. Well, we need to communicate with the brain in some way. So we use hormones to do that, the endocrine system. So for instance, if let's just say we have fat in our gut, that fat in our gut is supposed to signal to the brain that we're full. And that's when leptin is produced. And leptin means stop eating, you're full. Okay. That's one example. And then if the stomach is empty and it cannot produce energy for the body. So the body is like, well, I need to run down the street. And then the stomach is like, well, I can't do anything for you because there's nothing in here. So then it has to send a signal to the brain from the gut saying, hey, I'm hungry. So then it produces the hormone ghrelin via the endocrine system to say that it's hungry. And these mechanisms, like we said before, they can be skewed and um with different illnesses and obesity and different things, but um, these are the normal mechanisms. And so like fight or flight, right? You have the, I'm not going to go into detail about this, but you have the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And when you have fight or flight, different certain processes kind of shut down so that you can really focus on getting away from danger, right? So um, you'll maybe some people notice when they're doing strenuous exercise, especially with our tactical athletes, maybe they notice that some of the um, gastrointestinal processes stop, you know, they're not going to be processing food, they're not going to be um, processing those nutrients. Like I talked about, all of those things stop and you're only focusing on producing energy at that point. And when you have bad bacteria that are in the gut, that bad bacteria can affect your hormonal system in a way that basically, if you have the serotonin stored in your gut, it will affect the communication pathway that allows your brain to receive that serotonin. And that's why antidepressants have serotonin in them is because they help with depression and anxiety when you're supposed to have that normal mechanism doing that for you. But unfortunately, um, the bad bacteria kind of 
colonize your gut in a way that affects this system. And these processes are unable to work like they're supposed to. Does that answer your question? It does for the most part. Yeah. I guess I just, I kind of imagine like, if we think about communication as though it were a network of roads, let's say, and suddenly there's a storm, if you will, of bad, ba- like byproducts from bad bacteria. And suddenly those roads become flooded in certain spots and impassable in certain spots. Well, this is where proliferation of disease happens. So you have, like I was saying before, you have different things that are produced by the bad bacteria, so the metabolites and things like that. And then you have these free radicals floating around in your body and they're causing, you know, inflammation. They're causing um, just buildup, calcifications, different things happening in your body. And these affect all of these pathways. So we talked about this in the last podcast, how if you have something going on in your gut and all of this is interconnected, just like you said, with all the different roadways, like these free radicals, they're going all over your body. So they've done MRI scans with people that have fecal matter that is less than optimal. And they've shown for brain disease that there is a connection, a correlation with bacteria that's not good in the gut. And it's pretty amazing. So they can see that on an MRI scan. So it all is very interconnected. So if a person is theoretically suffering from chronic pain, or perhaps depression, or, you know, a number of different conditions that are diagnosable, but for which the source, you know, could be coming from a multitude of things. Is there a process by which you can literally go have your fecal matter tested and they can tell you this is imbalanced, you should try that? Yeah. Because, and I say multiple sources because, you know, again, you know, speaking without having like full proper training for things like depression, I've, I've seen instances where it's derived, it's been blamed on a chemical imbalance in the brain. And other times it's blamed on perpetual life conditions that a person can't break away from. And once they break away from those conditions, they're, they're happier again. But it seems like that would be very telling to be able to just go to the doctor's office and be like, can you check out my fecal matter and tell me if my guts are out of whack because it might have something to do with what's troubling me. Like they do with the cat. Every time my cat's sick, they say, well, I need a stool sample, right? Well, why can't they do that with us? So you send it into a place. Uh, the one place I know of is called Viome. Um, you, there's probably more, but it, right now it's very expensive. It's not affordable for just the lay person to do it. Um, but in the future, it's going to be more affordable. This is something that people are going to be doing more regularly. And it absolutely should be something that they are doing. Um, so there's lots of different things that you can do. First of all, you can check your micronutrient deficiencies because you might be deficient in a micronutrient might not be, you know, your gut. Second, you can start taking probiotics and that through sources of food and prebiotic food to feed those probiotics. If you're still experiencing issues, then you can take a probiotic supplement that has prebiotics in it. And if you're still experiencing issues, then absolutely send in your fecal matter. And then there's also, you can also get fecal transplantations of someone with a healthy gut that they've deemed a healthy gut. So there's so much really cool science that um, right now, I know that sounds gross, but there's so much really cool science they're doing right now where they're trying to actually target specific bacteria. So there's a lot of science on lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. That's what's in. So the probiotic I take and the probiotic that I give my kid, that's what's in there. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of science on it, but there's so many strains of bacteria, right? That we're just 
on the tip of the iceberg with, and then they more bacteria are being created. So if we could pinpoint and target the specific bacteria that is affecting depression, anxiety, these different conditions, diarrhea, vomiting, joint pain, if we can target the bacteria that's creating the metabolite that is affecting that specific condition, wow. Yeah. That would change the medical field. Absolutely. And that's why I asked. It just seems like a pretty it seems like a pretty simple thing and it seems like something that would be more automatic in the diagnosis process. Uh, I can't tell you, tell you how many times I've been to the doctor and just had, you know, somewhere on a maybe another different podcast I, I heard recently anyway, I haven't been able to confirm this fact myself or not, but that apparently doctors make a diagnosis within 11 seconds of talking to a patient, they're making a diagnosis. And that's probably a generalization. And I don't think that can be specifically proven by any kind of scientific study because you can't crack open a doctor's brain and see what they're thinking per se. But, you know, that's just a little frightening as a person who's a patient, but it's, you know, that the doctor's not taking more things into consideration, but it's also like, yeah, once, maybe twice in a hundred times that I've been to a doctor's office in my life, have I had to give a stool sample, Mm. but it seems like such a simple kind of a no brainer thing. Like, let's just, let's, let's eliminate certain things, but maybe research isn't there yet. So you have MRI, CT and X-ray. Okay. X-ray is the cheapest. Right. MRI is the most expensive. Which is why it's really hard to get. Exactly. (laughs) So they're going to send you for the x-ray first. And that's kind of when you said that they're diagnosing you within the first 11 minutes, I think. 11 seconds. Oh, sorry. 11 seconds. I I think that the more realistic thing that's happening is they're figuring out what they need to rule out in the first 11 seconds. That's a fair statement. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because there is a process of elimination that they have to go through, um, especially when it comes, it's not just affordability for the doctor, but it's also affordability for the patient. Have you ever been charged for an MRI? I have. It's thousands of dollars. Like I was blown away the first time I saw a bill for an MRI. I was like, whoa. So um, they want to try to find what the problem is with the x-ray first and then go to the CT scan if they haven't found and then go to the MRI. And then a lot of times it is trial and error. And this is kind of a second part to that. So for instance, in my profession, right? I can look at you physically and I can kind of tell what your macronutrients and your calorie count probably is, but I need to know your family medical history. I need to know your personal medical history. I need to know your personal physical activity. I need to know how much water you drink. I need to know how much you sleep. I need to know um, your stress level. I need to know your environment. Where do you live? Who lives with you? What type of resources do you have for cooking and providing food for yourself? Like there is a barrage of questions that I need to ask to further develop your nutrition plan. So whereas in the first 11 seconds, I can probably figure out how many calories you should have by your body type, your gender, right? Your height, um, your weight. I can tell kind of the circumference of your body as well. Cause I've taped so many people, you know what I mean? But I cannot make a final deciding factor or decision until I've asked you that gotcha. really long list of questions. Yeah. And it, it all plays a role. So that makes sense to me. Just out of curiosity, if you right now, like a carnival oh gosh, game, how many calories? How many calories do I need? Do you think? Um, probably twenty five hundred. Dang, you gave me a lot more than I would have given myself. So I'm actually doing um, 
our gym is currently doing a nutrition challenge and I am eating 2014 calories. Are you cutting? I am on a small cut. See? Yes. So you do I was, a 500 calorie deficit for every pound yeah, you want to lose. I was so. fluffy in the beginning. I've lost a couple pounds. Yeah. Leaned out a little bit. I heard somebody lost eight pounds already. I don't know who has lost the most, but that's the most I've heard. I won't name drop them. You should. I bet she would love it. I think it was Alex Tracy. Good for Alex. I'm going to do the Tanya Harding. Was it Tanya Harding? No, it was a blonde one. Is that right? What's the name of the ice skater back in like oh the 80s gosh. that like took out the other one with a lead pipe? So another one of the clients. I'm going to take her out. I want to win. No, you just bring in a <laughs> pan of brownies or cupcakes. Oh, That's sabotage. how you sabotage a nutrition challenge. That's so mean. Unless they're oh. paleo because the people in the paleolithic era made, era made brownies. That was a joke. Oh. You have a really <laughs> good poker face. It's like, Christine, are you serious right now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, the nice thing about being on a flexible diet is that I could have a brownie mm. if I wanted, but I would have to later in the day eat less rice with my dinner. And I probably would not be getting as much fiber and micronutrient from that brownie as I would from some brown rice and asparagus and avocado and stuff. But but by not depriving yourself, that's really good. I don't believe in deprivation because by not depriving yourself, you're not going to be desiring it so much. Just allowing yourself to have some. Maybe have a half a brownie mm-hmm. every Moderation. couple of days Moderation or so. Is key. Yeah. Yeah. We've definitely digressed, but that's okay. Um, 2,500. Well, that probably was accurate for when I was still 165, 60 pounds. Now I'm down to like 155 ish now. Well, if you're taking in 22,000 ish, then 2,500 is spot on for maintenance. Just saying, but I didn't know you were on a cut cycle. You win. I'm impressed. I'm a big winner. (laughs) Okay. So getting back to brain gut connections, is there a way that I think a lot of us are probably in a habit of to some small degree doing like a self-diagnosis cycle just because, you know, we want to be logical and in our logical brains, we want to say, I'm an adult and to some extent I can manage my own shit and I can fix myself. A lot of that is the common sense of, I don't feel great today. Maybe I'm not getting enough sleep. Or for me, sometimes when I've done flexible dieting and I have experimented with higher fat, lower carbs, lower carbs, higher fat, it's been like, yeah, I leaned out a lot, but I have no energy. Maybe I should put some more carbs back in. Or, you know, maybe sometimes it's, it could even be things like, I have a dull headache today. I either have a tension headache or I just haven't had enough water. And so we do, we go through these logical steps of like, you know, how do I self-maintain? How do I fix myself? If somebody wanted to try and do that with, you know, seeing if maybe their gut bacteria is off, if they're experiencing some symptoms, like what are some baby steps? You know, what can you look at on your plate? It's like, this is an automatic, like that's going to kill your gut bacteria balance versus, you know, how do I trade out those bad things on my plate for good things so that I'm at least um, creating a better condition for my gut biome. I'm glad that you asked that. So um, there are definitely things that you want to make sure that you're consuming, such as kimchi, which I see you post a lot. I love kimchi. I eat a lot of it. I like good kimchi, but the jarred kimchi that you get at the grocery store, 
Don't eat that. I don't know what that Christina, is. Christina, don't judge me. I like my kimchi. Do you like the jarred one? It's the one I get at Harris Teeter. Okay, well, maybe Harris Teeter, you know, they, uh, they're they a little more upscale. They it's probably like have the good stuff. King's brand or something. It's delicious. Well, the one at Walmart is not good. <laughs> don't go there. Sorry, Walmart. Noted. <laughs> All right. Okay. Anyway, um, kimchi miso soup, which is one of my absolute favorites. Every time I tell someone that they go out to eat, you know, pair it with something like that, because that is actually twofold. The miso soup, it has hydration, right? That you're going to take in that you're drinking and filling your stomach with the liquid. So you don't eat as much of the other stuff, right? And then you also have the fermented food in the miso paste that is giving you that good bacteria as well. So it's like a twofold benefit. And then you're not over consuming your food, which moderation, like you said, is a big part of it and balance and variety. So variety is huge too, because you want to have the prebiotics to feed the probiotics. So you just want to make sure you have some serving of prebiotics on your plate. Because if you're taking in the probiotics and you're not taking in the prebiotics, it's beneficial, but not as beneficial. So you want to have like a lot of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, whole foods is what I say. That's not a plug for the whole foods grocery store, but whole foods as in whole grains and raw vegetables that have good fiber, eat the skin, eat the whole vegetable. So you have the insoluble and the soluble fiber. So you have that bulk. So it's that, um, you know, that non-digestible fiber that helps with the motility. And that's what feeds the bacteria in your gut. So you want to have both the probiotics and the pre on your plate. And then also, of course, the source of protein, because that's good too. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know miso had fermented products in it. Yeah, so you have that yogurt. That was like tofu and yep, some tofu. Flavor, flavorful seasoning seaweed. That's it. Yep, seaweed. There's a lot of things. It's a long list. You have yogurt. You have kombucha. Um, kombucha is really good. I really like kombucha. I don't recommend canned vegetables just because of a, a barrage of reasons. That's not part of this podcast. We won't get into that this time. But basically, you want to eat as fresh as you can. And... If you're not eating any fruits and vegetables and the only thing you will consume is canned, it's better than none. So that's kind of one of those things, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So would you then in that same light of, you know, considering the give and take or whatever, um, I stopped like experimenting with the Activia at the grocery store because like, oh, it's got these probiotics, but the sugar is probably sugar in it might be feeding the bad bacteria, mm. um, which maybe is short-sighted because maybe the good bacteria eats it too. I don't know. It's uh, not short-sighted actually. So it depends on how far you want to nerd out down the nerd train. Like seriously, because I'm always on the nerd train. I know. I mean, and I am too, let's but let's go there. Like, is this stuff good or bad? I mean, I want to trust Jamie Lee Curtis because I love her, <laughs> but so Activia has been proven to improve gastrointestinal distress. Absolutely. Um, and it is because of the probiotics that are in it and it's the regular ingestion of them. So it's, these people are like regularly ingesting them. And as you get older, so this is something that's tailored. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's kind of tailored to the, toward the elderly population. Right. And as you get older, the colonization in your gut, actually the diversity decreases just naturally. So as if, enough doesn't happen. Like we're losing bone mass and getting shorter and we're losing muscle mass with atrophy. And so many things are happening as we get older, as if that wasn't enough, we're just going to have less diversity as well. (laughs) It's almost as though mother mother nature intended for us to die at some point. (laughs) It's a circle. So anyway, so basically let's get back to the sugar content. Absolutely. Myself, 
when I consume yogurt, I consume a plain Greek yogurt that has the probiotics in it. And I add peanut butter that has no sugar added and it's peanuts and salt only for my flavoring. That's how I consume my yogurt because I don't want the added processed sugar, which tends to be, and actually another issue is when you get the low fat. So I also do the full fat yogurt because when you get the low fat, it has even more sugar because fat is flavor. So in order to sell to the consumer, they have to add more added things to it to make it taste better. However, I do also consume yogurt that has sugar in it at times as a treat. So there's there's it's kind a of a balance, yeah. yes, because I do treat myself. I do not believe in deprivation, like I said. Yeah. Like Tina did earlier, I'm going to jump on my soapbox. If you haven't listened to the first nutrition podcast that we did with her a while back, you should, especially when we talk about debunking the myths that came with that low-fat, no-fat craze of the 70s, 80s, and 90s definitely set us back in terms of productivity. Fat does not make you fat. Well, let's think about this, Meg. If our fat cells are connected to leptin and our natural process of utilizing leptin to tell us that we are satiated. If we are consuming a diet that is lacking fat, then what are we doing to this natural hormone that's supposed to be telling us that we're satiated? Hmm, questions to ponder. Mm-hmm. Very true. Every time we sit down and do this, I feel like we need to do more because there's so many rabbit holes to go down. Man. It's good stuff. Okay, so probiotic and prebiotic foods, a good thing. What are some mistakes that you think would be easy for people to make if they were trying to be more cognizant of their their gut biome, their gut bacteria and gut health to improve that brain-gut connection? I think people just go into extremes. I think that, like, if I say that using antibacterial soap is going to kill your bacteria, so then people stop washing. And really, there are people and people in my realm that don't wash. They use water only, okay? Um, And this is one of the reasons. And I think that when you go to a certain extreme and then you say, well, I'm not going to wash at all, I think that there might be a problem there. And then on the other spectrum where, okay, well, I said probiotics are good for you. So now you're going to go find the most expensive probiotic with the most colonies in it and the most strains, because I said that you needed to have a lot of strains and a lot of colonies. So you're going to go find the, you know what I mean? I think that that's where the skew happens is when people go way too far on the spectrum and they're not just trying to get 1% better every day. (laughs) That was a plug if ever I heard one. Good stuff. Well, I use it a lot, actually. I think it makes a lot of sense. Well, and I've said this before. It's worth repeating. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. You know, it's it's overwhelming to think about the vast array of things that could be better or that could be affected. But on a day-to-day basis, if you're doing a little bit better, I think that's, that's always a good approach for anything, whether it be improving your nutrition or your exercise or just, you know, any realm of life, uh, you have to take it in bites that you can handle. But yeah, I think it would be a mistake to go out and buy 10 Activias and eat them every day thinking that that was going to solve your problems. It'd probably be a little excessive. 
Too much of a good thing, right? Yeah. That and we live in we live in a society of a really hilarious irony or dichotomy, whatever you want to call it, where there's certain functions of your body, for example, like your your scent, your odor that are supposed to be like weird because it's part of our evolutionary development that, you know, I would a person will put off pheromones, for example, to attract the opposite sex. But the smell of those pheromones has been translated in modern day BO. So if, for to some extent, if you want to be accepted in society, you have to do something about that, right? You have to like, whether it's antibacterial or not, use a body wash that's relatively pleasant or odorless, you know, like it's for better or for worse, we're in these, these habits and processes that probably would make no sense to an alien planet of earth people in another parallel universe where they're like, why do you pluck your eyebrows? <laughs> Clearly studies in our universe have shown that maintaining body hair is like good for your health, whatever, but yeah, because it keeps bacteria out of your eyes. There's a reason yeah, or it keeps dust. And, yes. So actually uh, something that they found was if you stop and I don't mean stop showering. I mean, stop doing so much. If you stop washing so much and using all these deodorants and these different things, your bacteria actually, your pH and all of that kind of changes and you smell less potent, I should say. Interesting. So you're more of a mild smell. Yeah. So we're actually like, once again, right, we're creating these resistant bacteria probably this is my hypothesis through all of these smells and deodorants and different things that we're using to try to cover it up and it's like well i'll show you i'm gonna get stronger so that you have to use more have you ever noticed that it doesn't matter what you do it doesn't matter what you take or what you drink or where you go or what you do you have to do more to elicit some type of change or to do you know what i mean yeah, like it's true when you're for drinking caffeine. alcohol it's like true for caffeine alcohol. it's true for nicotine all of the above. Deodorant? Like, well, now I have to use man's deodorant. My goodness, what's going on here? <laughs> it's because I'm a tactical athlete. And I'm yeah. picking up heavy things and putting them down. Repeatedly. Repeatedly. Pick it up, put it down, do it again. So something that we didn't talk about, but I wanted to say, because I thought it was really cool. Have you ever heard someone say a gut feeling before? Yeah. So it's like a real thing. Yeah. So your gut is actually really telling you something. Because of that gut-brain connection. So that panicky feeling, for example, when you're going down the road and you inevitably drive by a cop and you're going 10 to 15 over the speed limit, or he just happens to pull out on the road and his lights are on, whether he's after you or not, immediate like feeling of panic deep in the, in the depths of your stomach, that's the fight or flight hormone, right? Yes. Does that originate in the gut or where does that hormone come from? Well, it's all of that um, central nervous system communication pathway that goes from the GI to the CNS and through the vagus nerve and all of that. But the physical feeling is happening in your gut. But it's not just that. It's like what that feeling you get when you know that you left something at home, that gut feeling, right? Or when you know you're about to make a wrong decision. I feel like that happens to me three times a week, not the wrong decision so much, but like, I know I forgot something. I just don't know what it is yet. And it's going to make me flipping crazy until I remember. Yeah, but you feel sick in the stomach. It's not just like, it's your brain thinking, but you're feeling physically sick in the stomach. It's interesting. It's like a real <laughs> gut feeling. Yeah. So that, that term was not just coined, you know, it's a real thing. Another thing that we didn't talk about that you, um, that I wanted to mention was that this whole thing about probiotics, even though it's emerging science, quote unquote, it's not new. 
So first of all, like the gut brain connection itself there's science from, you know, the 19th century, the 1830s. Actually, it was an army, um, an army gentleman. Let me see. Let's see. It was a U.S. Army surgeon that actually figured out this brain gut connection and how like the feces could be tested to see different disorders in the brain and how I mood was affected. Who was like it? Do you know? his name i'll have to look it up for you i don't i don't have his name but um also like with the whole fermented foods and everything i mean that's been since the first century that this is a long time that we've been consuming fermented foods to heal medical ailments so this is not a new thing i feel like there's a big especially with the things that you just mentioned there's when you look at ancient medicine techniques there's a big connection here to Chinese medicine. And I think that a lot of holistic caregivers or alternate methods of health management are not given a lot of credit by the modern medical community. But the irony of that is that the further we get into research, the more we'll find that those techniques are very sound, just based on their principle. I mean, if you think about energy pathways in the body, your chi um, energy pathways are very real and they connect every single cell everywhere. You know, like, of course, acupressure works. Of course, acupuncture works. Granted, you have to have somebody that knows what they're doing. Mm. You know, they got to put the needle on the right spot, but, um, energy pathways, like communication from different cells across the body in microseconds. Yeah. Grounding, like actually getting down to the earth putting your bare feet on the earth. Yeah. There's so many things that you can do. It's a whole body thing. And what's really cool is when you start taking care of one area, they all kind of start synergistically working together. Like I tell people all the time that come to me, this is not only about nutrition. This is a whole body, a whole lifestyle change that you need to make a shift in your thinking. We need to reposition your focus on of stress off of food and onto something else. And so I use meditation, yoga, grounding, so many different things, acupuncture, um, massage, uh, taking a walk, um, calling someone who is um, uplifting to you. So we all need to have that person in our life that actually speaks life into us. Yes. So important getting rid of people who kind of do the opposite sucker branches is what I call them. Have you ever heard that term sucker branch? Yeah. So in a a plant, right? If you have a dead leaf, basically the plant is going to give all of its nutrients to that dead leaf because it's trying to revive it. But if you prune the dead leaf off of the plant, then the plant will revive itself and all the nutrients will go throughout the rest of the plant. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. So I use that in life too. So if you have a sucker branch, get rid of it. That doesn't have to be human. It could be anything. It's hmm. good advice. I'm reading a book right now called you are the placebo making your mind matter. And it starts out with a lot of case studies on the placebo effect. And it ties in a lot of research around neuroplasticity and how our emotions create responses, physical responses in our bodies that contribute to building these neurological pathways and help us repeat habits that we're in to the extent that over a lifetime, if you don't make very specific and deliberate changes in the way that you think or you see the world, you're reliving 
the same life the same day over and over and over Mm -hmm. again, essentially. And it's utterly mind blowing. And I'm really excited to get towards the end of it because there's going to be, I think a lot of like meditation techniques and stuff. Well, the opposite is true too. So you said you kind of get kind of programmed, right? Well, you get programmed once you start doing the right paths oh, absolutely. as well. You can, and the whole book is, is nice. about trying to program what you do want, mm-hmm. not repeating the program and it gets of easier. what you don't want. So the subsequent times that you're trying to do the same action, it becomes easier. It becomes like second nature as mm-hmm. if, you know, you already know exactly what to do. You know what yeah. I mean? It's pretty yeah. amazing. And the way that you handle stress and anxiety and things like that, if you find a way to handle it, in, um, say a better light. So instead of turning to substance abuse or, um, turning to anger or turning to, um, retreating or any, any negative aspect of stress and depression and anxiety, if you turn to something more positive, then that specific process becomes easier. It becomes ingrained in your body. It's really permanence. It it becomes permanent. It's pretty cool. I'm excited to get to the end of the book. And I think I'd like to do a podcast with the author and just, you know, get some of his ideas. We'll get there. But one of the most compelling things that I found reading that was that the fact that if you have an emotional memory, let's say, like, let's say one time when you were a kid, you know, somebody looked at you and said, you have a really large forehead. I'm using this example from a different person in a different podcast. We talked about vocabulary with Mark England mm-hmm. and that, you know, a person pointed out a little girl's facial feature and said, that's really big. Maybe it was her nose or something. And it stuck with her forever. And in her brain, she created this new, my nose is wrong. It doesn't fit my face mentality that lasted with her, her whole life and created a negative emotion. And it took her actively deciding that no one else had ever said that. No one else has ever thought that. I never thought that before she said that to me. That person basically changed the whole course of my life with one statement. And so when she realized that, she was able to change it. But even taking that a step further, some of the examples in this book are mind-blowing of speaking specifically in terms of placebos or even nocebos. If, if you can be convinced like strongly enough that you are actually ill when you're not, Mm. your body will make itself ill. It will make the chemical reactions happen to match. That's what they say about fibromyalgia in your head. And the, it's the other way around that, you know, if you believe strongly enough that you will be well, Mm. you will become well. There's science behind that. Absolutely. They've done studies on it. You need to read this book because it brings those together. Um, One of the more cool stories was where they did, a study where they essentially didn't do surgery on some dude's knees. Like they took a bunch of veterans that were walking around with canes and half of them, they actually gave them like an orthoscopic surgery and the other half, they just made a little incision to make it look like they did something and they did nothing surgical. And these guys had enough of an emotional tie to the belief that their lives would improve after that surgery that they became better. They healed. They literally healed and stopped walking with canes. There was another one where they took a group of old men and said, you know, I want half of you to, um, think about what it was like when you were in your twenties 
And the other half, you're going to actually act like you're in your 20s again. And they set them each in a staged environment for a week where they would listen to the same radio shows from when they were young, play the same games, you know, even decorated this house they were in with memorabilia from that time. And the men who actually stepped into the role of how they were 60 years prior left that place with more muscle mass, better blood pressure, like physiological changes because they emotionally got to a place where they were reliving those glory days. So it's, it's incredible to me too, to think that the human body is amazing. And that's why they say the brain gut connection is bi-directional. So the gut is communicating with the brain and the brain is communicating with the gut. And if you think about all those hormones and the serotonin, the leptin, the ghrelin and all of that, like I tell people all the time, whether it comes to their physical ability, their emotional state or their nutritional awareness, they have the control. They are driving the car, whether they think they don't have control or not, they do. That's the part that I wish that I could put in a bottle and feed them. Because that is the realization that they need to have is that they do have control and they can drive the car and they can stay in the lane. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty exciting prospect that, you know, we have so much control over the outcome in our lives. And I'm very, you know, very much in an interesting place right now because I do have an injury that I'm trying to get past. And so I'm reading this book, like I'm going to, I'm going to apply these techniques, but in another book that I thought, brought some interesting light to it too was own the day own your life by aubrey marcus who's this big supplement guru he owns on it he's a big entrepreneur guy who's been super successful and he has an amazing podcast and has really cool people on there all the time and he very much is in tune not only with like the health and nutrition aspect but also the spiritual aspect of how that all ties together and uh I thought one of the coolest techniques that he mentioned in the book was, all right, you know, have your plan for doing nutrition well, but when you inevitably make a choice that you regret, like having a piece of cake, don't look at that cake as the bite is going into your mouth and think of it as poison because your body responds chemically to your emotions. You're eating, if you're consuming this cake and thinking about how I'm going to regret this sugar is poison, it's bad, that you're creating a negative effect in your body. But if you look at the good things and say, well, you know, I need some carbohydrate for my recovery today. And there's some egg in there. So there's a little protein and this isn't the best thing ever, but it's nutrition nonetheless. I do that. I fit, I do that. So when I'm looking at something, let's say I'm at a party or whatever, I look at it and I do think of the macronutrient breakdown of it. And then I'm like, okay, well, later, I'm just going to leave the rice out of my plate when I eat dinner or exactly. whatever. And I'm not saying that you should live on cake and meditate and hope that it will be good for you <laughs> and hope for that to turn out well. But what I am saying is like, emotional mindful eating, mindful eating and emotional responses elicit chemical responses in your body and if you fixate on the bad shit whether it be food or even events in your life you're creating physiological changes and maybe even impacting those gut bacteria because guess what if you have an emotion in your brain first which that's how it happens the brain is then going to communicate with your gut bacteria and who knows what kind of stuff you're sending out of whack yeah there's been studies that say that if you smile long enough like if you're not happy but you just physically smile long enough, you will produce happy hormones. So like the serotonin hormones that make you happy. There's so much 
There's so much stuff. There's so much cool stuff. Yeah, there is. Well, the human body is just literally amazing. Yeah. And I don't think we'll ever get to a point where we can know everything that there is to know. And I don't think that I would like that. I think I enjoy a sprinkling of a healthy sprinkling of mystery on life. You know, I don't think I would want all the answers. Yeah, no, that's why God said, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Because when you know all the things, then. But the apple, though, <laughs> it looked good. It looked good. So, <laughs> I saw a meme on Facebook lately that was like, men be lying so much that really probably Adam ate it. And then he said it was Eve. I was like, oh, that's mean. <laughs> that's mean. My husband that. doesn't lie at all. <laughs> Except maybe a little tiny bit when he tells me I look beautiful, even though I'm like probably seven to 10 pounds over fat. But you're connecting beauty with weight. And that is a misconception that has been created by Western culture and their addiction to pornography. Don't even get me on that soapbox. Oh, sure. And we had that conversation last podcast too. But, you know, human beings were flawed. We stay tied to our flaws from time to time. Um, everyone's got their moments of weakness, right? You know, when, when you can't zip your jeans up, darn it, that's a hard day. That's a hard day. Buy new jeans. No, I'm kidding. Don't. (laughs) I actually, (laughs) I think I might've mentioned this in my Thanksgiving podcast with my friend Chelsea, but yeah, recently, like I've been steadily gaining muscle and some fat too, but muscle over the years since I started actually physically challenging myself with exercise to the point that my like seven to 10 pair of really expensive Lululemon shorts that I've had for years, I just, I can't wear them anymore. My ass was eating them. Do you want to pass them down? They're too tight. I already sold them. Mm. I sold them on Poshmark. I was like, I just need to let go of size six and just be honest with myself that that's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine though. It was a transition. It's an excuse to buy new clothes. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) (laughs) My husband, after Peyton, he was like, oh my gosh, now you're going to need new clothes because you lost all the baby weight. (laughs) Oopsie. (laughs) It's fine. Everybody loves new new gym gear. Before I started caring a lot about exercise, it was about, it was all about the shoes. And now that my life is, you know, my, my uniform, so to speak, my uniform of life is different. Like it's all about, it's all about the good workout clothes. Like Mm. what pants will stay up when I'm squatting and what sports bra will not suffocate me. The functionality of the clothes and their microbial like absorption or how they, like I have certain bras basically I wear a couple times and they stink and I'm like, you need to get better at formulating a material (laughs) that actually fits my lifestyle because I work out like a boss and I need clothes that fit that lifestyle. Right. I Plug that hold for Lulu because let me yeah. tell you, I wish someone would just donate an entire but whoever's <sighs> listening to this uh, podcast and wants to donate. Send Lulu's. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it was so like tragic when I had to sell them all because it was like, damn it, this was so expensive. That's like three hundred dollars. I'll never get back. But I could I turned that money around and invested in new shorts, so it was all good. I've also noticed that Reebok does pretty well. So Reebok's material, they do really well as well. And if anybody listening to this podcast wants to send their products to us to test, to wear and test and see how the microbial content is. We'll do that for you. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do that for you for sure. (laughs) So I wanted to tell you before we close, um, I know we're about to close because we 
have gone off of our topic, but I wanted to tell you the products that I actually use and why I use it. Okay. Yeah. Okay? yeah let's so go. I don't actually specifically recommend a specific supplement. What I recommend is that you do your homework on whatever supplement it is you take, whether this is for micronutrients or probiotics. Okay. So for the probiotic that I choose, I use it because it's from Melaleuca. And remember me telling you that one of the problems is people are using chemicals and antibacterial hand soaps, and they're not getting the probiotics and prebiotics in their diet. So it's a big picture Mm -hmm. and the antibiotics, right? Well, I actually do all of those things. So Melaleuca uses no chemicals in their products. That's why I use them. They also have the oligopatin, which means whatever nutrient that you're providing, it carries it to the absorption site. So it's like a protective barrier, the oligo barrier that protects it from like stomach acid and different things that would destroy it in transit. And it also provides, um, it keeps me, my immune system good because it has more than just probiotics. So I use this peak performance pack here. It's really amazing. It has your multivitamin in it. It has your fish oil, which... I'm going down the list and you'll probably be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm told to take that. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Probiotics, but it also has the recovery AI, which helps with the inflammatory response. And then it also has the cardiovascular support for, you know, the high endurance and also cell wise, which is an antioxidant. So all of these things work in tandem together for the elite athlete. It's called the peak performance pack. It's really amazing. Let's see here. Grapeseed extract, good stuff. Green tea, lots of antioxidants, ginkgo, turmeric. Yeah, I supplement turmeric every day. Curl oil is another one I do a lot. Very cool. So where does somebody find these performance packs if they wanted to like start taking that supplement? Oh, that's a good question, Meg. So they would just contact me. My contact information is on truetouchofnutrition.com. Is it like a subscription or a one-time thing or how does that work? So it's cheaper if you become a member of Melaleuca. It's like a membership program. Think of it like kind of like a Costco membership where you are buying something at wholesale and you're getting the product cheaper by being a member. Gotcha. Okay. So they just got to find you then. That's right. All right, cool. When do you typically take this? I imagine it has to be with food or else it won't absorb properly, right? So I take it's a performance pack that you take in the morning and you take in the evening. The probiotic is taken in the evening before bed. And um, it's a pack of six vitamins and you take five in the morning and six at night. Okay. So it's basically two packs, but in one that has an AM pack and a PM pack. So you're not, that's another thing that we kind of didn't get into very much. We did for momentarily, we talked about flooding the system with too much, right? Mm-hmm. So you split the vitamins twice a day so that you're not taking in too much at one time because your body is only going to process so much, right? right? So people who take like the omega, the full amount, the one that you can take one, well, it's actually recommended to take the multiple for a reason because your body's only processing so much of right. that. For my curl oil, it's like two daily with food mm-hmm. type yep. thing. Yep. And that's how it should be. And the same thing goes with food. That's where people are saying, well, I don't know why I'm overweight because I don't even eat. I eat like once a day. Well, you're overeating in that once or twice a day when your body is only actually processing a certain amount. Well, doesn't your body also, like if you, if you're fasting enough, like not a healthy fast, but I'm 
you know, basically starving myself all day and then gorging on food, doesn't that impact your hormones and potentially like send you into a starvation mode where your body will hyper absorb nutrients in a way that could make you obese? Yes, it actually does. So you it's like hibernation where your body's like, "Uh Oh, I'm not going to be fed. So I better store. So then you're actually becoming even more obese because then you're storing more fat and more fat. And um, remember when, didn't we talk about last time where when you're pregnant, if you go through a famine and the baby becomes more efficient mm-hmm. at storing fat because they're being Obesogenic deprived. Obesogenic is the word I learned during yes. that conversation. Yes. Yes. So it's kind of that concept. So you have that hibernation concept. And then when you overeat, your body processes exactly what it needs for what it's doing in that moment. So if you're sedentary, that's even worse, right? And then you store the rest. And the same thing goes for like these people who are drinking like five supplements a day as far as protein goes, right? And they're not regulating their macronutrients and they're flooding their system with so much protein at once. Your body's only going to use the amount of protein it needs. Yeah. It can't process more than 50 grams at a time. And then you, yep, you either pee or store. You also store as fat as well. Yep. Yep. It's true. She speaks the truth, my friends. (laughs) So for... For people that want to learn more about the brain-gut connection and maybe, you know, experiment with changes that they can make in their day-to-day routine for the better, do you have a specific... I'm kind of putting you on the spot because I didn't tell you I was going to ask this question, but like any particular websites or blogs or anything like that you like to read just to kind of get that information or is it more of a just get on Google Scholar and do the digging? So I typically, everything that I look at is from some type of journal, you know, like the journal of clinical endocrinology and metabolism or peer reviewed stuff. Yeah. Peer reviewed stuff. Or um, there's a good uh, gut biome podcast. That's really good. I look for people who, um, you know, they have done research in the area, um, the field that I'm searching for sure. Um, they can go on to my website, truetouchofnutrition.com. And I try to provide information on there for, I try to word my information a little easier though. So in a way that the lay person can understand. And it's not like just mind blowingly exactly. difficult in school. When I was in school for dietetics, they actually, they made us sit down and read and reread articles 10 times. And the reason they do that is because when you are reading those articles, you're your mind is not actually processing all of those words. Right. It probably doesn't know what a third of them even mean. And if you're not stopping and looking those words up or it, it, co- it creates like further research. So you get to a point and you're like, Oh, well, what does that mean? Well, now I need to search and research. Well, people don't have time for that. Yeah. So I just kind of try to break it down into a more simple way. Good. I certainly appreciate that. <laughs> all right. So true touch of nutrition. I'll have to look up that blog. Is it at, it's like a dot com or mm-hmm. true touch of nutrition dot com. Yep. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And if we have, do you do um, like remote consultation or do you typically keep a clientele that you can only, you can see personally face to face? I do. I, so I, um, I do traveling. So I do traveling nutrition, which I usually only travel within like a 50 mile radius, but I also do remote coaching as well. And we can do counseling over the phone, via email. There's You have a thousand different ways that it can be done. Um, and then I also offer meal replacement programs, which can be done completely 
online as well. And that it, that's very dependent on each person. Each person has a different need. So what I recommend for them, let's say if they're remote, right, is going to be different depending on their needs. Right. So it's not a good idea for a person to pass their notes to a friend and say, this is what you should do because that's what I did. That's a big, yeah, that's a big problem. People do that with training programs too. And it's typically not a good idea. Well, if you're telling someone to do a certain training program and they have a previous shoulder injury or knee injury or something like that, I mean, that's just off the top of my head, the first problem you can come up with, but they might have medical problems. You still need to do some type of intake where you're going through an interview process with that person and finding out a little bit more about them and what their yeah. goals are. Everybody's goals are different. Like yeah. Their and body that's, composition that's very is much why we have like on the Valkyrie project tactical program, you know, we have an avatar. The avatar is the female tactical athlete that's looking to take her performance to the next level. Like not talking so much PT test stuff, but higher level of performance, long endurance over time, durability, strength. Of course we offer, you know, the different abilities to scale if you know people aren't quite there in terms of strength or if they don't have the equipment available, but that's definitely, um, yeah, definitely an important thing to, as much as you can, take into account what your personal isms are anytime you do nutrition or, or exercise program. If uh, one of our listeners wants to get some one-on-one time with you, where do they go if they want to talk to you? Well, they can go to truetouchofnutrition.com or they can email me at... Christina.mazulo at prana.healthcare. Cool. Good stuff. As always, this has been so much fun, Tina. I really appreciate you having me in your lovely home to do this podcast. You're very welcome. Set the scene for them, Meg. Set this. I'm sitting in Christina's dining room. They're lovely lights, separate Christmas lights, because it's that time of year. I have a cup of tea and a bottle of water. Leave it to the nutritionist to make sure I got my nightly antioxidants and hydration. She's a good friend and a good nutritionist. (laughs) All right, guys. With that, we will sign off. As always, we want to hear from you guys. We want your shout outs. We'll maybe even name drop you if you go to the site. You can uh, fill out a contact form at ValkyrieProjectUS.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter with the handle at Valkyrie Project US. Make sure you like and follow those pages to stay in touch. And as always, do today what others won't. Do tomorrow what others can't. Thanks for listening. <laughs>